Romans 8, verse 1, the word of the Lord. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The word of the Lord. So as Paul has gone through Romans and trying to let them know, this is the gospel that I preached. This is who you are. This is who Christ is. This is who we are in Christ. This is who you are apart from Christ. This is who we are still struggling with the flesh even in, in Romans 7 as Paul has gone through and said, this is who I was before I was a, believe, a believer. I was as zealous as a Pharisee, as a, as a Jew, but then the law started to do its work on me. And then I realized I needed a Savior. And then he says, even as I live this life, and if I look at the work of the law just in my flesh, trying to, trying to do the good things that God calls us to do in my flesh, he's like, I still just see within me not being able to do things I want to do and doing things I don't want to do who will release me from this body of death, O wretched man that I am. Praise be to God in Christ Jesus. And this is where he is. So now he's, he's going from, uh, if you'll see verse 8, he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so this is the conclusion of this great conflict that he's been talking about between the flesh and the spirit. And we know that all too often the flesh wins. We know that uh, we all follow sinful desires from time to time and, and don't live out our faith as we, as we would even like to ourselves. And so we think to ourselves, you know, how often um, is this the case that we are just unable and that we cannot please God? And if we stop at verse 9, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And we know we're in the flesh. And there's a sense when you're reading Paul in different places, he'll talk about being in the flesh as like being in this life, being in this world. That's not he's using this here. He's using this in a different way. He's talking about the principle that is set up forensically, legally, who you are in Christ in this way. Because he says this, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if in the flesh means in this body, if we're walking around like this, you can't please God. I mean, keep trying to do what's good, I guess, but he's not going to be pleasing to God. But then he says this, the first word there is you. I try not to say this all the time, but plurals are important. And if you were reading Greek, you would know this is a plural. 
So the, again, the one area, area, <laughs> appropriate, the one area where the, the southern dialect is superior is in the use of the plural y'all, because this is y'all. This is those plural who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. Y'all, he's speaking to the church in Rome, he's speaking to all believers, he's speaking to the church. He says, y'all are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. That's a fact. So he's going to talk about things, don't walk according to his flesh, walk according to his spirit, because we still have this principle set up. But what he's saying is, if you're in the flesh, you can't please God. Y'all are not in the flesh, you're in spirit. That's one of the truths of Scripture. That if you're a believer, you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. And he gives a little if, and there's a few ifs in here. Here's an if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, the word for dwells is where you get the word for house. He's housed in you. He's a home in you. He's dwelling in you. Um, there's three times this is used here, and this is the first one. And just these three passages, which is full of, of the Spirit being in us. So if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So you're not in the flesh. Y'all are not in the flesh, but in your spirit, if the Spirit dwells within y'all. So if the Spirit is in the church, and meaning you individually people, then you're in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And then anyone, any one person who does not have the Spirit of Christ, and that's interesting too because we went from Spirit of God to now Spirit of Christ. And so we're talking obviously about the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of God, but now the Spirit of Christ. And he uses it so interchangeably that it's like in Paul's mind, it's like this is all the same thing, but there's differences. And this is the Trinitarian mystery, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, we tend to think we're very comfortable with the idea of the Spirit of Christ. How is Christ living in you? Through the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ. We're all going to see, also see that it's the Spirit of the Father also living in us. If we believe in the omnipresence of God then what we're professing to believe is God is everywhere present. But it's even a little bit more than that. It's just not that God is everywhere present, but that God is everywhere completely present. All of God is everywhere all at the same time. Okay, now it's, what about this dwelling? And this is, we're going to talk about this too, but it doesn't mean not somewhere else. It has to do with how he manifests himself. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So what he's saying is, if you're a believer, you have the Spirit of Christ. There's no doubt about that. If, you have, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. That's it. But he's saying just because you're in the church doesn't mean you have the Holy Spirit in you. You must be born again. You have to be a believer. You have to be, we talk about the, the visible and an invisible church. The visible church being everybody that's joined Everybody that sings, praises, and does all the stuff. But then the regenerate, actual, born-again, faithful, believing believers, those are the ones who have the Spirit of God. So just being in the church and in covenant with Christ doesn't make you have the Holy Spirit. It's only those who are united in Him by faith who have the Holy Spirit. So this is the first thing that we have to understand. Every Christian believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. And then he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not, what? Belong to him. So don't pass over that little phrase. 
belong to him. Believer, you belong to Christ. And that, and that means a few different things. It means certainly you're his and you are his to do with as he pleases. And that's like, if he's a bad guy, that's not good. But if he's wonderful and good and great, merciful, this is the best person that can have you. Okay, So he has you. We are his. There's protection. There's security. And it's eternal. And there's also union. So that one of the things he uses is to say that Christ is the, the bridegroom and we are the bride. And then he tells us as we're becoming like him, he says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. And so that's a new commandment because we see how God in Christ has loved us sacrificially. It's a sacrificial love. And as our bridegroom in Ephesians 5, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to present to himself a bride without spot or wrinkle. The bride that's going to be presented to God without spot or wrinkle, that's awesome because we belong to him. But also, as we're becoming more Christ-like, to love one another with a Christ-like love of sacrifice, and we're to love one another, especially our wives and our relationships are set up like this, as Christ loved the church. And so this is the type of love that Christ has. Sacrifice, sacrificial, committed and intimate. And so as intimate as the relationship, and this is what Jesus prays in John 17 in the high priestly prayer, I pray that my people would be one, even as we are one, so that there's this union of, of, of person and, and like, as is exemplified in a proper marital relationship. So the two shall become one flesh. And so union with God in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, that brings us, I don't exactly like the Tim Keller quote, but it kind of works. It brings us into this dance of the Trinity. It brings us into this Trinitarian relationship so that God has always existed in relationship with himself. God did not create people because he was lonely. That's heretical ridiculousness, okay? God's not lonely. God's in perfect relationship with himself. He's perfect, complete within himself. He created us for his own glory, in order to glorify each person of the Trinity in different ways. And here we are. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to enjoy God and to, and to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So this is our purpose. This is the reason that we're indwelt by the Spirit. And every believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. And being indwelt by the Holy Spirit should make some kind of a difference in a believer. It ought to make a difference in our lives. So you need to ask yourself at this particular point, and this is what I think Paul would have us to ask in the letter, which should make people think, you know, Jesus at the table, the Last Supper is like one of you, whoever dips his hand in a dish with me is going to betray me. And they all said, is it I? Which is so much better than going, is it him? It's got to be Judas. Well, who was the last one they would have suspected? They trusted him with the money and everything. It wasn't him. Is it must be, you know, you talking about me? At their best point, and Peter among them, is it me? And then later he says, though they all abandon you, I'll never do it. Oh, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And he does. And he's restored to relationship again. But we have to ask ourselves, because he says clearly here, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 
Y'all are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, does the spirit of God dwell in you? Are you saved? Am I a true believer? You have to ask yourself that. You don't just go on. I mean, there's assurance of salvation, but that doesn't just mean a blind assurance where you're just like, I said the prayer, I did the stuff. What makes you think you are saved? Because Martin Luther said, man, if I look deep within myself, there's a lot of reason to doubt my salvation. And so we all have to do that. The presence of sin in your life should make you a little bit funny about how can I have the presence of the Spirit of God within me and still do the things I know I do. And you know yourself better than you know anybody else. And the judgmentalness that you have about other people, that's a part of our sin. And so we should look at that and go, oh, okay. And then we remember, that's not the gospel, is me. The gospel is Christ. The gospel is Christ in me, Christ for me, me in Christ. The gospel. Am I trusting first in the promises of God? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yes. Um, Whoever is in Christ, his sin shall be removed from him as far as the east is from the west. Amen. Um, as long as you are trusting in God, he is in you and you are in him. That's my only hope. I mean, that's what your doubts of looking into yourself should cause you to go to God and go, I'm clinging to your promises. I'm believing it because you said it. And that's the only thing I have to cling to is your promises. And then there's also the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. Should make a difference. And then so we have to ask the question, is there evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit within you? Is there any evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit within you? Is the Holy Spirit actually making a, a difference in your life? And then how so? And what kind of a difference? Because verse 10 says, but if Christ is in y'all, is in you, and he means this in general, but also particularly too, if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So we're looking at this. The spirit is life. Okay, that's the second if you take notes. The spirit is life. So the first thing is that you have the spirit if you're a believer. And the second thing is spirit's life. And this first part says the body is dead. Now this is where grammar is is helpful. The body is dead is an adjective. Okay? It describes the body. It's, what's, my, what, what's my body? It's dead. Dead in your sins. The body is dead. Okay? But, and it's because of sin. Because of Adam's sin. Because of imputed sin. Because we're born in sin. It's just this body of death. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will release me from this body of death? And so now he's revisiting this, and he says, the body is dead because of sin, but, and he said, this is what your body is like. But the spirit is life. That's a noun, okay? Describing what the spirit is like, it is life. Spirit is life. Your body's dead. Guess what you got? Life. Not a, an adjective, although you can be lively and alive. Spirit is life because of righteousness. Dead body, because of sin, imputed by Adam. Spirit is life because of righteousness. Righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. He died for our sins. He died in the body. He killed sin in the body so that those who are in him, who've been given the spirit, which is life, because of righteousness, now you are in Christ and you possess this righteousness of God. That's justification. 
Remember that this word righteous is the root word. It's diakos, dikaiosene, like you care. But it's that same root word for just or justification. You are righteous. It's because of the righteousness of Christ in us. And this is why we're saved. So if you begin, what we're looking at here is evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit. Because he's saying is, all right, Spirit's life. So you have this. So one evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in you is that you are trusting in promises. You are thinking about these things. Now, you can be dead in your sin. There are people who are not believers that about these things from time to time. The, there's, there's the sower has thrown seed out, and we know some who receive it gladly. But then the cares of the world and the desire for riches, different kinds of things of the worldly desires and things, they get in, they choke it out, and before you know it, there's, there's no life left. You're dead. And then there's, <clears throat> there's others. It's quickly taken up. It's scattered. It's gone. So you got to wonder, am I one of the ones that slowly am being choked out by the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches and things? So you have to ask yourself that. And so what you want to say is, yeah, I can see that principle at work within me, but I also see the principle of the Holy Spirit working where I'm clinging to promises. That's an operation of the Holy Spirit within a person clinging to promises. There is a principle of life dwelling in you, and it draws you towards the things of God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So this is another one. So you hear the voice of God. So you got to ask yourself, well, what does that mean? Because a lot of people think if you don't hear God speaking directly to you from the spiritual realm, then you're not of God. That's not what the Bible tells us. He says, my sheep hear my voice. And Paul writes that he's talking about the Spirit-inspired Word. Just think, where, does the, where are we told God speaks? In the Bible. This is where He speaks. Lots of people can read the Bible and they don't get a thing from God. But His sheep hear, and the word hear in the Bible always means just a little bit more than just, I heard it. It's like, no, you heard and hearkened to it. Like an alarm can go off. Your alarm goes off and somebody can, I'll hear the alarm. Amy will hear the alarm. <laughs> she will awaken. I will not hearken to it. Fire alarm. Some people leave, some people stay. Did you hear the alarm? Okay, it's that kind of thing. So they hear my voice. And because Paul says of the scriptures, the Old New Testament, as he's writing to Timothy, that these, this is theonoustos. Theos is God. Noustos is where we get the word pneumatic, wind, spirit, God breathed. This is the God breathed word of God. Being able to understand the word of God able to have the Word of God minister to you. And this is why it gives us the Lord's Supper. It's like if the Word of God, the gospel itself, as you receive it by faith, is working in you, an eternal weight of glory. So it's like you eat the bread. If you don't do that by faith, you're actually eating and drinking judgment to yourself. And I'm, I'm, I need Jesus Christ to live by. You don't even believe in it. Or you're condemning yourself in that because you're doing, you're claiming that you have to have faith and you don't have faith. And the same for the wine. He gives himself to us in the gospel. So as the Holy Spirit is ministering to us through the word of God, a believer has the Holy Spirit that is taking the God-breathed word and we hear it. And it replenishes and it builds and it nourishes and it energizes and it supports and comforts and, and all of these things. So a believer who stays out of the word of God, which is what your flesh wants you out of it, 
the world wants you out of it. The demons want you out of it. And as you become lazy or as you become whatever, the world kind of gets in and drags you down and you're just not in the word anymore. Then don't sit there and start complaining about God not speaking to you. Don't sit there or the church. People don't go to church forsaking the assembly of themselves together. God is speaking to the gathered people of God. He says, I am dwelling there in a way different than other places. I'm in the Word in a different place. I'm in the individual believer in a different way. I dwell in the church as I did in the temple. Uh, living stones being knitted together, being fitted together as uh, living stones into a temple. And so that's what's happening to us. So you can't be fitted together as living stones if you're out there by yourself as a believer. So what the Spirit of God does is He brings His body together. And this is a part of what we're doing today, but do you, hearing his voice, it's speaking to your heart, or is the Bible just boring? Does it make no sense? Is it just something that I could care less about? Pray to the God, his word, that he would give you understanding. That's what we pray for if we don't have this, and we speak to other people and say, whosoever seeks after the Lord shall receive. But how often do we choose to ignore his word? How often do we choose to ignore the church? Y'all are not in the flesh, and therefore the Spirit of God dwells in y'all. But we're not just saved individually. We're saved into a community, into the church. And it's just real quick, look at Ephesians 2.22, just to be reminded of what Paul writes about this. Ephesians 2.22 In him, in Christ, you are, y'all are, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this isn't the only place in Romans where he's talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But this is what he's doing. He's building us together as a temple into a dwelling place for God. So the church is where God dwells on earth. And we're going to talk about that a bit more. Charles Hodge, in his commentary on Romans, writes that God is said to dwell where he constantly manifests his presence. So God's everywhere all the time, but there are places where he manifests his presence. He demonstrates the temple in the um, that was the tabernacle, the, the Ark of the Covenant, these things. This is where he manifests his presence. He's everywhere, but there are places in the heavenly throne room. He's manifesting his presence. So where does he manifest his presence today? And I think one of their errors of the modern church is to say, in me. And it's like, not wrong, but more in me. Yeah, in us in the church. This is where God is manifesting himself, not just in the individual stones, but in individual stones being fitted together. The world will know you by the way you love one another. So we're being fitted together as living stones into a temple or a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So this is what is happening in the believer. Where does God dwell on earth? If the world is to see a manifestation of God on this planet, it will be from the church of Jesus Christ. And that's it. So one of the things I believe we have to be lovingly, carefully, at, and at times turning over tables, need to be able to say, that's not the church. What you see over there, that church, not the church. This theology being taught is not the church. It's not of Christ. You'll be careful of that. 
And you got to make sure if those pronouncements are made, they're pronounced by the church. And so we got to ask ourselves, well, who's the real church? Who gets to decide what the real church is? The Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church has answered that question and said, the church does. It's like, okay, how does the church know it's right? And they're like, because we have direct line from the Holy Spirit. Oh, there you go again. There's your problem. Word of God. Word of God. That settles it. That settles it. And nothing do you believe in it. This settles it. And this is the, the highest level of authority that we have is the Word of God. That only those with the Spirit can spiritually discern it. And so we have to let the Bible interpret the Bible, and then we have to figure out, am I following it? Do I believe it? Because we'll read it in. A hundred people alone in a room, in different rooms, give them the Bible, tell them to come out about some theology, you'll get a whole bunch of different ideas. And so the question is, how do we know what's true? And it's because God has been at work in his church for years with spirit-inspired, indwelt men and women who are working to understand what does the Bible say. And the things that are necessary for salvation are very clear in one place or another. And people who deny the things that are clear, it becomes more and more obvious. Because it used to be the unbelieving church denied things that kind of weren't so clear. They've come way out into the open now, and they're denying things that are quite clear. The first of which being the authority of Scripture. If you can't believe in the authority of Scripture, sola scriptura, this being the final authority, and there is no other authority apart from Scripture. There are under-authorities, but no higher authority than Scripture, because this is the Word of God. Then that's what we have to cling to, because we are the light of the world. So we have to have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us. We are the temple of God. We can hear His voice. We learn to obey from the heart the Holy Spirit's presence is manifested not in works of dramatic tongues or healings or miracles, although God does still um, heal in what we call secondary ways. It's like you can pray for somebody to be healed, and sometimes God heals them without a drug, without a surgery, without anything. Sometimes God still, still heals, and we would call that miraculously. We're not quite using the word correctly, theologically, but we know what we mean. seems to be supernaturally. God has done something that's not the normal way of doing things. And we pray that God either heals people like that, just make it go away, or have them take some kind of a medication or some kind of surgery or do some kind of exercise or watch what they eat or something. But somehow, Lord, we're praying for healing for people who are hurting. And we know that sometimes that will not happen. It will lead to death. And that will be to the glory of God. And we'll be able to see through a glass darkly now. We go to heaven. If we're able to look back and we go, why? He's like, let me show you why. And then you go, it was hard, but it was good. It was right. I trust you. And uh, you have to trust. But what about the presence of the Spirit? Because if we're supposed to have the manifestation of the Spirit, it would seem like there's a good thing. There's a good way to manifest it. We're doing all kinds of and speaking tongues and these things, but the Spirit's presence is manifested in His people primarily by producing righteousness and holiness in His people. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Make us like Christ. That's what He's doing. Making us like Christ. After the image of Christ, after His example, this is the work of the church. And so let me look at verse 10. And verse 10 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and this is talking about the Father now, 
the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, and he repeats that twice, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We read that in the Heidelberg Catechism. One of the things the resurrection of Christ is we look forward to our resurrection. But when we die one day, we'll all be resurrected to our glorified bodies. But also, there's life principle within you now. There's resurrection life. When a, when a person like has not been raised in a church or living in darkness and they come to Christ, you should be able to see, they should be able to say, darkness to light. There's a difference. You know, there's resurrection life. And in a believer who's been grown up in the church, a believer who's grown up in a Christian family, on and on and on, as they even go through life, they continue to see, wow, there's resurrection life and hope. And for this, I am thankful. And for this, I am glad. And so we have to be able to know this as we're worshiping the Lord. Because, and it's real quick, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. So the prophets are all together. Isaiah is the first one that's the longest. So Isaiah chapter 1. Just beginning of verse 12. He's saying, because this is the Spirit of God talking about the worship of God. You're coming, you're worshiping me in the Spirit. You're coming to worship me. And what's happening is, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? It's like, uh-oh, this is a Paul Corinth situation. When you're to the Lord's table, it's not the Lord's supper you're eating. What are you doing? And he says, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon, Sabbath, the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. So you're being, like, you got nothing but sin, you're not following me. You're not having the Holy Spirit working, but you're still having these solemn assemblies. I can't deal with that. If you're going to worship me, you have to do it how? Spirit and truth. New moon, verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. He's one appointed them. Why does he hate them? Because you're not doing it in the Spirit. They've become a burden to me, and I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. So you're worshiping. I'm hiding my eyes from me. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your de- deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to your followers. Plead the widow's cause. So he's talking about the kingdom of God. Doing this in Israel and you're not caring for one another whatsoever. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. He's like, come to me. All who are weary, and I'll give you rest for your souls. I will cleanse you of your sin. But you're not coming to me. You're just coming and doing this, these deeds without the Spirit and thinking that that's what I like. It's like you do not have the Spirit among you. Though you're, but when you come to me, though your sins are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and dwell, you shall be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the Lord spoken. And there's a, you know, a song, just you have to, it comes to my mind, John Foreman writes a song, it's called Instead of a Show, and he writes it like this, it's a good paraphrase of what's being said here. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your praise, the hypocrisy of your festivals. I hate all your show. Away with your noisy worship, away with your noisy hymns. I stop up my ears when you're singing them. I hate all your show. Your eyes are closed when you're praying. You sing right along with the band. You shine up your shoes for services. There's blood on your hands. And he's just talking about the work of the Holy Spirit can be copied 
or make you think the Holy Spirit is working within you by loud, noisy worship. Now, it doesn't mean all loud, noisy worship is not of the Spirit, but it can sure copy it. Satan can do that. So you have to be careful. You can also say, hey, we're going to be very solemn because that's the Holy Spirit. Satan can make you quiet too. The question is, are you in the Spirit? This is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring his church together, to make us clamor after him, to desire more of him, and to want to be more righteous. And so the, the final thing is the Spirit brings resurrection power. And so when we say, I believe in a resurrection of the body, in the Apostles' Creed, talking about ours. But death does not have the last word. The church is a resurrection community. The church has resurrection life. And as we desire more Christ-likeness, we have to say, our, and, we, and as we desire to live more holy lives, we cannot do it in the power of the flesh. Those in the flesh cannot please God. We cannot listen to the culture telling us how to be the church. It, it, the, they can't please God. They don't know. And there's a lot of church that's just culture, so don't listen to them. Listen to the Bible. Listen to the Holy Spirit. What is the Spirit saying to the churches? In Revelation, he says, listen, I speak to the churches. We are not in the flesh. We are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us. And often, this is why the harder we try not to sin, the worse we become. It's like, you remember the whack-a-mole thing? Where you hit the thing, at the, you're trying to hit that mole, hit, and it keeps popping up. It's like you get rid of one sin, and another pops up. And you get it out, and another pops It's just, it's like, you can't do it. You want to be better. You want to try harder. You want, and the more you do that in the flesh, the more you ask for, God, remove this sin from me, then how do you think he's going to do that? In your flesh? He's going to do it in the spirit. So we have to be like the Galatians. We, can't, we cannot be like the Galatians who said, and foolishly begin in the Spirit, but try to be perfected by the flesh. We have to be with Paul and say, oh, wretched people that we are, who will deliver us from this body of death is Jesus Christ. We need more of him in our lives. That's what we want. Oh, more Jesus. I need more faith. I believe. Oh, help my unbelief. Oh, Lord Jesus, give me more of you. This is what he says at the table. This is why I want you to come to my table. This is why I want you to go to church. This is why I want you to be in the Word. This is why I want you to go where the windy places are. I want you to go where the Spirit is. I want the Spirit to go in you. I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. All this other stuff will be added to you. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that mean? By the flesh, it means I will beat myself. I will try to do better. I will work. And that just makes you proud. It just makes you angry. It just makes you resentful. It just makes you hard to be around. But if it's just like, be of me a humble sinner. I need you. Give me more of you. Give me more of your faith, your spirit. We need the spirit to fill us with the love of Christ. And that should be our prayer. More of you, O Lord, less of me. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And the spirit says, come. Come, everyone who is thirsty. I am the water of life. Come without money or pride or price. I am gentle and lowly of heart. So we must become gentle and lowly of heart. And by his grace and his spirit, we will. And we'll find rest for our souls. Even this meal before us is a physical meal. But it must be received by the spirit, by faith. And in receiving of the gospel, we receive God. Let's pray. Father God, you've given us yourself. You've given us your spirit. You gave us the spirit of Christ. Um, Christ, you are present with us in this meal. 
We pray that we would understand you're present in this gospel. And as the gospel nourishes and changes and is a means of grace, a way that grace gets into us in the same way is baptism in the Lord's Supper as it is accompanied with the preaching of the gospel. We receive it personally as signs and seals of the covenant promises given to your church. That those who are united to you by faith shall be washed clean from their sins and are never left alone, but will be filled with your spirit. And so we thank you and we pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.